0: Let the to Welcome to the intersection of Faith and the culture. you found wall we were taking on the hot topic of the day from a biblical, historical and constitutional perspective. And our topic today is guns. Yes, that's a hot topic, I know. I know. it's really self-defense. I mean people define this topic as guns, but it's really about the natural right of self-defense and in our current society, a handgun, a uh, shotgun, a rifle, and yes, that includes an AR-15. Um, the, these are all the popular ways, because they're the best ways, to exercise the right of self-defense. So this is a really, really important topic, but again, it is a, it is a hot topic. It's a controversial topic, because there are many who do not believe you have the right of self-defense. That somehow that's government's job, and that government will protect you, which we know is impossible, because you cannot have a— police officer or a government agent on every corner, and you certainly wouldn't want that. Certainly not in every home, which is what it would take uh, even then, would not be enough, as we see in situations where one armed guard can be overwhelmed. Anyway, great topic for you today, and Professor John Lott will be the one uh, joining us for this particular topic. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution coach and a former Texas legislator, serving here with David and Tim Barton, David's America's premier historian and our founder at Wall Builders, Tim Barton, national speaker and pastor and president of Wall Builders. Uh, Now, we've we've had uh, Professor Lott recently at the Pro-Family Legislators Conference. And as you know, if you're a regular listener of Wall Builders Live, we try after the conference each year to bring you as many of those presentations as we can because, frankly, they're just incredible. We have a lot of great speakers to come speak to these state reps and state senators and other uh, public servants from across the nation. It's it's a wonderful program. Pro-Family Legislators Conference is what we call it. And it's a great chance for them because they get to come together. I remember when I was a state rep, you, you sometimes feel like you're the only one that that thinks biblically or that's trying to at least govern from that perspective. We're all flawed and no perfect candidates, of course, and no perfect legislators. But sometimes you feel like, you know, man, everybody's governing without these principles. And so we came up with the idea of putting together this this legislators conference. Back then, uh, after I was a rep and came on board with, with wall builders, it was only the uh, a couple of conferences that that weren't biblically based. I mean, one of them's a little more conservative than than the other, but there just wasn't a real outlet for legislators to come together that had this biblical worldview and that wanted to, to uh, be able to, you know, sharpen each other's countenance, exchange ideas, and then hear from some really fantastic speakers. And so we created the Pro-Family Legislators Conference. Boy, I've lost count. I think it's 15 years ago, something like that. I remember the first one we had. Um, we had uh, Mike Huckabee came and did the dinner. I do remember that, but it's been too long ago and I've slept too much and I haven't looked to see what the number of years, but it's been really successful and, and a real um blessing to these legislators. And and frankly to us, you know, that that are no longer legislators or are are others that that serve with wall builders and the organizations that help put this on, it's a blessing to see all of these biblical worldview legislators. So anyway, pro family legislators conference is a great way, you know, good reason to give to to wall builders if you want to give an end of year donation to uh, to wall builders, it helps us to do conferences like that, and to serve and to help get good people uh, trained on biblical worldview, and just educate and equip, and um, you know, give them the opportunity to come together and and encourage each other as well. Uh, so back to our where I started on this, and that is that every year when we have the conference, all these great speakers come in, and we can't share all of them with you because they just it would take all year uh, probably to do that here on Wall Builders Live. But I I, I do uh, think it's important for us to share as many. As possible. So we've already uh, we've already shared Mike Ferris with you. We shared one of David Barton's presentations this week. We're going to have a couple more presentations. And the one today that we're starting is Dr. John Lott, Professor John Lott. I I love this guy. I've got to hear him speak many times. He actually helped me when I was a legislator to pass the bill in Texas 20 years ago to stop cities from suing gun manufacturers, blaming them for crime, ridiculous legal theory. And uh, and he's just been on the front lines of this forever. So you're going to enjoy this presentation, Professor John Lott. Here we go to the Pro Family Legislators Conference.
1: I really appreciate you guys uh, having me here. Um, It's an honor. I I could talk about lots of other issues. I've done a lot of work on vote fraud. I've done work on uh, abortion and lots of other things. But I was asked to go and talk a little bit about gun control issues. So I I want to first kind of just talk about a general point, and that is how people get the impressions that they do about guns. I can't tell you how many times I talk to people and they say, Guns are just one issue that facts don't matter. And I think that's wrong. I think facts matter a lot for everybody. It's just that guns are probably one issue that people think they know more about than almost any other issue because they're constantly hearing about guns in the news. And if you only hear about bad things that happen with guns and you virtually never hear about any of the benefits, you know, you're going to have a hard time convincing people that there's a net gain to letting people going and having guns. And it's not too surprising that people have uh, that type of impression. So uh, last year we did kind of a deep dive in the news media, uh, just how it covers uh, defensive gun uses versus crimes with guns. If you look at the top five newspapers in the United States in 2001 during their first nine months, they had uh, between you know the New York Times, the LA Times, the Washington Post, USA Today, the Wall Street Journal, between those five newspapers, they had a total of ten defensive gun use stories, and most of them are things went wrong. They shot the wrong person, or the gun was taken away from the person and used against them. By contrast, they had 1,743 gun crime stories where murders or woundings occurred. If you include shootings generally, uh, you're up to 2,764. Uh, if you include CNN and MSNBC, they had zero defensive gun use stories over the course of the year. So you could be somebody who thinks I'm very well read. I read the New York Times, the Washington Post, maybe the Wall Street Journal. Uh, I listen to CNN and MSNBC regularly, and you may never hear a defensive gun use. You hear crimes constantly, and the couple times you might have heard a defensive gun use, something goes wrong. So you know, we looked at all the defensive gun uses and all the media that we could find in the country last year, and there was about 2,000 stories that you would find. The thing is, you get an idea of even how that coverage kind of is biased uh, by looking at what is covered. So, you know, there's the old adage, if it bleeds, it leads. If you look at uh, all the newspaper or media coverage, 43% of the defensive gun uses involve instances where somebody was killed, 42% wounding, Less than 4% involved shots being fired, uh, where it's just simply brandishing. And most of those, the criminal was held at gunpoint until the police arrived. The problem is, we know from a lot of the research that about actually about 95% of the time that people use guns defensively, simply brandishing enough is to ca- stop an attack. The thing is, if you're an editor of a news bureau and you have two cases, you have one case a dead body on the ground, in another case, a woman has brandished a gun, no shots are fired, criminal runs away, you're not even sure what crime would have been committed, what story is going to be on your front page? It's going to be the dead body on the ground. We don't need any conspiracy story to go and explain that. But the bottom line is what's newsworthy is not always relevant in terms of uh, giving people an accurate impression about how the world works. Because if we care about people's safety, We care about not only the newsworthy case, but we also care about the instant where the woman was able to brandish a gun and stop an attack before it occurred. You know, you look at mass public shootings, and I'm going to go into this more later, but people make this claim that the United States is unique in terms of mass public shootings. That's simply false. We're way below the world average. We make about 1% of the world's mass public shooters, and yet uh, we make up 5% of the world population almost. It's just that. We live in the United States. If you're a news media organization, are you gonna cover a big school shooting in Russia? Or are you gonna cover a school shooting in the United States? And unfortunately, the media doesn't try to go and correct uh, that type of imbalance that people have. I'm just gonna show you a short video here and uh, uh, a media bias, then we'll get into some laws and other things. Hollywood hates guns. Well, they like them and shoot them up movies. But as soon as it comes to a good civilian using a gun for self-defense, Hollywood turns anti-gun. Hollywood constantly portrays people who hate guns. I'm not a huge
2: fan of weapons. How do you see why I don't like guns? You don't
1: like guns either. It's almost as if they're trying to condition people to hate guns. In Hollywood, even Navy SEALs warn against owning guns. The wise law enforcement experts constantly urge people not to use But in my experience, the problem with carrying a gun is that eventually it will go off. But Hollywood gets this backwards. In real life, police strongly support civilians owning guns and carrying them for self-defense. A recent survey by the National Association of Chiefs of Police polled thousands of sheriffs and chiefs of police. 76% believe that qualified, law-abiding armed citizens help law enforcement Reduce violent criminal activity. Detroit's police chief urges people to carry guns. So good Americans who are responsible with concealed weapons can make a difference. He became chief and encouraged civilians to carry guns six years ago. Detroit's murder rate fell since then. I'm excited about our trend downward. Nationwide, rank-and-file cops show even stronger support for private gun ownership than do police chiefs. More than 90% supported civilians carrying guns. No surprise, Hollywood's cops are wrong, and real life cops are right. Police are informed by what they see on the street every day. They know how important having a gun is to their own safety, and they know that private citizens can help. We've seen our good Samaritans. We've seen them go to the aid to others because they were good Americans with uh, concealed weapons permits. Many Hollywood crime show writers clearly know nothing about guns and crime. The myths they push on people are endless. What else do we know about these guns? Um, This is the machine gun that Davis was firing at us, so-called cop killer. Stop. Since 1934, there are only two known uses ever of a machine gun being used in a murder. Yet Hollywood shows criminals using machine guns to outgun cops all the time. Hollywood also finds endless ways to insult civilians who are using guns.
0: No good's gonna come from you guys running around here with assault rifles. Weird prisoners run the loose. We got a right to protect our neighborhood.
1: Yeah, that's a job for law enforcement, not a ragtag militia. Hollywood plays to bigoted stereotypes depicting gun owners as dumb hicks.
0: All right, folks, hang in there. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. You're listening to WallBuilders. Hi,
2: friends. This is Tim Barton of WallBuilders. This is a time when most Americans don't know much about American history or even heroes of the faith. And I know oftentimes for parents, we're trying to find good content for our kids to read. And if you remember back to the Bible, to the book of Hebrews, and it has the faith hall of fame where they outlined the leaders of faith that had gone before them. Well, this is something that as Americans, we really want to go back and outline some of these heroes, not just of American history, but heroes of Christianity and our faith as well. I want to let you know about some biographical sketches we have available on our website. One is called the Courageous Leaders Collection, and this collection includes people like Abigail Adams, Abraham Lincoln, Francis Scott Key, George Washington Carver, Susanna Wesley, even the Wright brothers, and there's a second collection called Heroes of History. In this collection, you'll read about people like Benjamin Franklin or Christopher Columbus, Daniel Boone, George Washington, Harriet Tubman, friends, the list goes on and on. This is a great collection for your young person to have and read, and it's a providential view of American and Christian history. This is available at wallbuilders.com, that's www.wallbuilders.com. This is Tim Barton from Wall Builders with another moment from American history. After the final victory at Yorktown, the Continental Army awaited the outcome of peace negotiations with Great Britain. Pastor Israel Evans, a chaplain in the Army, proposed to George Washington that they build a structure where church services could be held during the months of waiting. Washington approved the plan and urged his officers to ensure that the soldiers attended service. Pastor Evans further knew, if we were to secure the liberties they had fought for, sound education would be crucial. He declared, Every parent and every friend to the freedom of his country ought to be attentive to the improvement of our youth and the principles of freedom and good government, and then the people will stand fast in their liberty for a long time. Our schools today need to return to teaching the principles of freedom and good government in order for America to survive and prosper. For more information about Pastor Israel Evans and other colonial patriots, go to wallbuilders.com.
0: Welcome back to Wild Builders. We're sharing the presentation from Professor John Lott at the Pro-Family Legislators Conference. Let's jump right back in.
1: In real life, citizen volunteers and neighborhood watch programs save lives. A 2008 U.S. Justice Department analysis found that crime fell 16% in areas that started a neighborhood watch program compared to those that did not. Some of Hollywood's bias is comical. In this show, a woman asks a federal agent if he's worried about not having his gun in a gun-free zone when he's facing professional killers. Bad guys won't have them either. Bad guys won't have them either? Seriously? Has a bad guy ever seen a no guns allowed sign and turned around? In the show, the killers obey the signs and leave their guns behind. But in real life, gun-free zones only encourage criminals. They serve as a magnet for criminals. Virtually all the mass public shootings in the United States since 1950 have occurred in places where general citizens are banned from having guns. The Virginia Beach shooting this year was another example of this. A woman who worked at the municipal office building talked with her husband the night before the attack about bringing her permanent concealed handgun to work for self-defense. But she decided not to because of a city rule against carrying guns. She and 11 others were killed the next day by a disgruntled co-worker. In another recent case, a doctor carried a gun anyway, despite his hospital's no-gun policy. And he stopped a mass public shooting. As the district attorney put it, if the doctor did not have a firearm, he'd be dead today. And I believe that other people in that facility would also be dead. That real-life situation would make a gripping TV story but don't expect to see it. Hollywood bias is everywhere, and it endangers lives by misleading people on guns. So one law that uh, is kind of got, is related to legislation that just passed uh, the Congress and signed by Biden deals with funding for red flag laws. Now, obviously you can use this money for other things, other type of mental health care type stuff, but the point was to try to push states to adopt red flag laws. Everybody wants to stop somebody who's dangerous to themselves or others from being able to go and get a weapon. Uh, there are a couple of problems with that, though. You know, when you look at these surveys, there's surveys out there that will show by two to one or three to one margins, people support red flag laws. The thing is, when you read the questions in the surveys, they basically say, do you support judges being able to temporarily take away a person's guns who's a danger to themselves or others? And the vast majority of people say, sure, that's a great idea. The problem is in simplifying the question, I think they leave out a lot of important things. So for example, uh, people might assume that the judge actually has a hearing in making the decision. There's no hearing when the initial decision's made there. Uh, people might assume that since these are virtually always used in cases involving suicide that maybe mental health care experts are involved in the evaluation and none of these states are mental health care experts involved if you simply say does your opinion of the law change if you if there's no hearing and if no mental health care professionals are involved you go from about 2 to 1 support to about 2 to 1 opposition for those types of laws and you know the thing is What most people don't realize is there's already better laws on the books. Every state in the country has what's called involuntary commitment-type rules. If you think somebody's a danger to themselves or others, a complaint can be made to the police. If the police investigate and think there's something there, they'll take the person in to be evaluated by mental health care experts. If the mental health care experts think that there is a serious problem, there can be an immediate hearing. If you can't afford a lawyer, one will be provided for you and there'll be a hearing that will be determined what will happen. And the thing is, in that case, judges actually have a wide range of options. They could take away a person's guns. They could go and say, look, I'm concerned. I'm not going to involuntarily commit you, but I want you to voluntarily agree to go and see a mental health care expert. and We'll come back in two weeks and we'll reevaluate things. Or in the extreme case, they can involuntarily commit the person. And there are many other options that a judge has. The thing with these red flag laws is that the only thing that a judge sees is a written complaint in front of them when they make the decision to take away a person's guns. Uh, And uh, there's no cross-examination by the opposing side. Within maybe a month, there'll be a hearing. uh, But none of these states actually provide, uh, well, one kind of does, uh, cover your legal costs. And what you find happening is that in virtually none of these cases do people actually have their own lawyers. So the only thing that can happen to you with a red flag law is that your guns are taken away. If you talk to lawyers involved in these cases, you're talking about usually something like $10,000 to go through a hearing. Do I want to keep my guns? Sure. Is it worth $10,000 to me to be able to keep my guns? Probably not. Okay. And so people say if the worst that's going to happen is you take my guns, I'm not going to spend $10,000 on there. So the vast majority of people who go through this process don't have uh, legal counsel that's there. And uh, and that creates a, a lot of problems. So I, I could go on. But the thing is, these laws can actually accomplish the opposite of what you like. But 99 plus percent of these cases involve concerns about suicide. Take something like a police officer. Police officers tend to be depressed relative to the general population. They tend to commit suicides at relatively high rates compared to the population. But if you take away a police officer's guns, you've taken away his job, all right? What is this going to do to a police officer's willingness to go and talk to other people about being depressed? He may think that there's some very well-meaning person out there who might not understand uh, what he's going through, and just out of legitimate concern, out of kindness, go and say, I'm worried, such and such is very depressed, I know he has guns, and put in a written complaint, and the judge only sees the written complaint there and decides to take away the person's guns, and the police officer loses his job. What incentive does that do to police officers being willing to go and talk to other people about being depressed? Simply talking to people about being depressed often can be very important in getting people over the depression so that they understand what they're what they're going through on this stuff
0: Hi, right, folks one more interruption of professor john Lott's presentation today we got to grab a quick break we'll be right back you're listening to wall live have you noticed the vacuum of leadership in america we're looking around for leaders of principle to step up and too often no one is there God is raising up a generation of young leaders with a passion for impacting the world around them. They're crying out for the mentorship and leadership training they need. Patriot Academy was created to meet that need. Patriot Academy graduates now serve in state capitals around America, in the halls of Congress, in business, in the film industry, in the pulpit, in every area of the culture. They're leading effectively and impacting the world around them. Patriot Academy is now expanding across the nation, and now's your chance to experience this life-changing week that trains champions to change the world. Visit PatriotAcademy.com for dates and locations. Our core program is still for young leaders 16 to 25 years old, but we also now have a citizen track for adults. So visit the website today to learn more. Help us fill the void of leadership in America. Join us in training champions to change the world at PatriotAcademy.com. This is David Barton with another moment from America's history.
1: In the case Abington versus Shemp, the Supreme Court ruled that the Bible could no longer be an independent textbook in public school curriculum. Would our founding fathers have agreed? Benjamin Rush certainly would have disagreed. Benjamin Rush was a signer of the Declaration of Independence, and he was a leading educator of the day. In fact, he was the first founding father to call for free public schools. Benjamin Rush declared, The great enemy of the salvation of man, in my opinion, never invented a more effective means of extinguishing Christianity from the world than by persuading mankind that it was improper to read the Bible at schools. The Bible should be read in our schools in preference to all other books. In the view of founding father Benjamin Rush, the Bible was the textbook of preference for public schools. For more information on God's hand in American history,
0: contact Wall Builders at 1-800-8-REBUILD. Welcome back to Walburters Live. Thanks for staying with us. Let's jump right back in with Professor John Lott at the Pro-Family Legislators Conference. You know, gun
1: control people, I think they want to have a new law. And the reason why they want to have a new law as opposed to kind of rejiggering the involuntary commitment laws, if that's really what they wanted, is that there are all sorts of safeguards already in the involuntary commitment law that are not in the red flag laws. And it's a lot harder for them to go and rip out those protections than it is for them to go and write An entirely new law. Beyond that, they want to get across to people that if there's any problem, the solution is just to take away a person's gun. That will solve everything. My question to you is, if you're really concerned about somebody being suicidal, is simply taking away their gun the solution to that? You're telling me there are not other ways that you might be concerned that they can go and commit suicide? I can go through the research on that. But That's what they want to try to get across to people, and it's just not a serious response to people being suicidal. Just one other thing generally, you know, um, the Biden administration's been pushing lots of regulations, but I don't think most people kind of uh, understand what's been going on. See, ESG was mentioned last night. Uh, There's a lot of pressure on financial institutions not to go and do business with gun makers or gun sellers try running your business without being able to go and have a financial institution handle your checking account or handle uh, credit cards for your customers. Are there workarounds that these companies can do? Yeah, but they're a lot more costly. It makes it harder for them to go and stay in business. Another thing that uh, Biden has done is what he calls zero tolerance uh, for gun sellers. And what they're doing is, if you have one paperwork mistake, no matter how trivial, no matter how inconsequential, they will go and put you out of business. Literally thousands of gun dealers over the last year in the United States have been put out of business. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you, many of you also run a business. Do you think if I looked over the last 15 years of paperwork for your company that I could find one ty- typo, one mistake, any place in your, in your documents that you have? And then, should I be able to put you out of business if I can find one paperwork mistake, no matter how trivial, no matter how inconsequential it is? You know, Biden wants to keep talking about this in terms of gun dealers. He wants to talk rogue gun dealers who are selling guns out of the back of their store uh, to criminals. That's not what's going on with tiny little paperwork mistakes. If they have evidence of somebody selling guns to criminals, fine. Go after those individuals. But just don't go after them just because they have some tiny paperwork mistake someplace, often where a lot of this paperwork is duplicate and backed up, so even if there is a mistake in one form, there's other information that allows them to go and check that and see whether or not uh, that is the case or not. And then, you know, one thing you may not know about is uh, the Biden administration has been putting together a national registry for guns, the NICS background check system. Uh, The way it was set up, it requires that the federal government, after 24 hours after a background check has been successfully completed, for them to delete that information that they have precisely so they can't put together a national registry. The problem is is that the Biden administration has been collecting information from gun dealers who've been going out of business, uh, and uh, it's also changed the rules because gun dealers have had to keep the NICS background check system for up to 20 years, uh, now that 20-year limit has been removed, so they have to keep it essentially forever. And they've compiled a computerized database of about a billion purchases of guns, uh, many of them many decades old, but some of them fairly recent.
0: Hi, friends. We are out of time for today. We will pick up the rest of John Lott's presentation tomorrow here on Wall Builders. Uh, That's Professor John Lott, by the way. He is uh, He's one of the most prolific researchers and writers on the issue of crime and, and how to stop crime and certainly the right of self-defense, you should check out his website, crimeresearch.org. Uh, you know, most of what you hear on the major media and certainly from politicians is so skewed to try to back up their policy. Professor Lott, on the other hand, just gives you the facts, and they're really, really good. So check it out at crimeresearch.org. We'll get the rest of his presentation tomorrow here on Wall Builders. Thanks for listening to Wall Builders.
2: Stand on divine